0: So I'm glad you're here this weekend. We're in this series called Circles. Uh, we're, we're looking at relationships. We're looking at the, the different circles that we have, the different relationships that we have, because you know this. We, we do life in circles. We, we have a circle of, of influence, and, and, so, and, and so we need for our circle uh, to be as healthy as possible, because God, God did not create us. To do life alone. We were not made to do life alone. We were made to have a community with him and community with others. But the problem is, you know this, right? The problem is people can be your greatest joy and your greatest pain. I mean, if you're not careful, people can be like, you know, they're part of my, some of my greatest memories and my greatest joy. And then they can also be a part of some of my greatest hurt, my greatest pain, my greatest difficulty. And so the, the writers of Scripture tried to help us understand all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, this, this one deep, and I'm telling you, it's deep, this one deep theological thought. And the thought is this, we are weird. <laughs> We're messed up. We got sin, we got faults, we have, we have hang-ups. In other words, the theological term would be the depravity of man. In other words, we're weird. We have problems. I mean, have you ever made the mistake of like meeting someone and, and, and you just meet them and you have that thought, finally I've met someone normal. And then you get to know them. And you're like, they're just as weird as I am. They're just as messed up or as John Ortberg would say, everybody's normal till you get to know them. And then all of a sudden you get to know them and you know, you're like, they're no different than me. I mean, they got faults, they got hang-ups. And so this, week, this morning we're going to talk about these issues of, of relationships because Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 through 11 is where we're going to be today. If you have your Bible's electronic devices, you can, you can turn there. And Paul begins talking about relationships because we know this, right? If, if, if relationships, listen, if relationships are bad in our life, life stinks, right? If relationships are, are strained, then life can be difficult, life can be draining, life can be frustrating. If, if you have problems, if you're having problems right now with someone that is like in your circle, in your circle of relationships, then you know what, for you, it can, it can suck the joy out of your life because that's all you're thinking about. You're thinking about that person, you're thinking about that issue, you're thinking about that, that situation. And so today, we're going to look at this issue of relationships, we're going to look at this issue, who's in your circle and how are you doing in that? Peter Drucker was the, the father of American management. He, he says this about uh, excellent CEOs. He says the number one characteristic of a CEO or a leader is that they enjoy people. You enjoy people. I mean, you, you know what it's like to work for someone, that they actually enjoy people, they actually like you. You know what it's like to do business with someone and they actually enjoy people, there, there, there's a difference. So the question is, do you enjoy the people that are around you? you enjoy the people that are in your circle? You, do you enjoy the people that you work with? you enjoy a husband or wife, a, a dating relationship, uh, uh, someone in, in your family? Here, here's what Solomon said about, about marriage, Ecclesiastes 9.9. 9. He's like, enjoy the life with your wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, Because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. The problem is most marriages are endured, not enjoyed. Problem is in a lot of relationships, it is like endurance and not enjoyment. It is like, you know what, we really don't enjoy the people around us. We really don't enjoy the people in our circle. You know what we do? We we tolerate them. We ignore them. We put up with them. We endure them. We do anything. We do anything but enjoy them. And Paul says, remember that how you handle the relationships around you means everything to to life. It means everything to, to joy. So here's what Paul writes. I'm going to read in verses 3 through 11, Philippians, and then we're going to look at four keys, four ways to enjoy the people in your life. Uh, Starting in verse 3, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he, speaking of God, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I, have, I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless from the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. So it, th- that's really a hard group of scriptures for me to write because we now know Paul was not from Texas because he says, you all, <laughs> I say y'all. And so I always have to be very intentional when I say you all, because that's just awkward to me. And some of you are like, I'm so glad Paul's not from Texas. And, so, and that's okay. And so, uh, so let me give you four keys to enjoying people around you, enjoying people in your circle in life. Uh, the first one is this. Learn to thank God for them. Just thank God for them. Learn to thank God for the people that God has... Pl- Listen, life is short, Life is too short not to enjoy the people in your life. Life is fragile. Life can change in an instant. Learn to thank God for the people. Learn to be grateful for the good in people. Uh, He says, verse 3, he said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. You know what Paul says? The way that I thank God for them, I choose to remember the good and not the bad. I choose to remember the good times we had and not the bad times. How do you handle those ex-relationships? How do you handle those people that may have hurt you in the past, may have done something to you in the past? Do you remember the bad? Do you remember the good? I'm telling you, if all you remember is the bad, and you have some unresolved issues. You haven't walked through forgiveness. Because there had to be some good, because they wouldn't have been in your circle at one time. If all you remember is the bad... All you focus on the bad about an ex-employee, an ex-relationship, an ex-friend. And every time that person's name's brought up, every time they come into the room, you focus on the bad, then they're going to suck the joy out of your life. And whether you realize it or not, they're still controlling you today. And they're just going to mess you up today. And Paul says, you know what? I've decided, I've learned. I've learned just just to try to remember just the good. Man, when... When you remember people, what do you remember the good or the bad? see Paul didn 't have an easy time in Philippi. This is where the letter of Philippians comes out of uh, if you if you want some some history of that, Acts chapter 16 gives us some insight what Paul went through in Philippi. Um, Paul and and Silas were like church planters. They were going around. They're like planting churches, and God stops them and says, I want you to go plant a church in Philippi. So they go plant a church, and as they're going to Philippi, as they're coming into the city, there's this this lady by the name of Lydia. Lydia is a businesswoman. She's influential in the community. Uh, She's very wealthy, and she has a large house. So they're having a conversation with her. They lead her to the Lord. She meets Christ, and she says, I I want you to start a church out of my house, and I'm going to fund it. So they start this church out of her house, and then all of a sudden it's a core group. The church begins to grow, and then the day comes when Paul and Silas heal this guy in the community. This guy was influential. They changed his life, and he began living for Christ, quit doing the corruption that he was once doing, and so it makes the city leaders mad. So the city leaders are now mad. So they go get Paul and Silas. They throw them in prison. They beat them, throw them in prison. Uh, they're chained. They're in prison. And you know what Paul and Silas are doing? They're worshiping God. They understood that, you know what, they have influence in their circle. And so they, they, they're worshiping God. And then God creates an, an earthquake. The, the, the jail doors break off. The, the chains fall off of, the, of their arms. The chains fall off of their hands. Prisoners start escaping. Paul and Silas start leaving And as they're leaving, God tells them to go back. And see, the warden, the warden is coming downstairs. And and the the reason the warden is coming downstairs is because if a a Roman soldier, if a Roman prison guard allowed prisoners to escape, they were immediately put to death. That's how they cut down on corruption. And so the warden's coming down. He's realized the prisoners are escaping. And so the warden draws a sword, and he's about ready to kill himself. And so Paul and Silas come back into the room, and they says, don't do that. And he's like, why? And they says, and, 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 and they says your, your life matters to God. Can you imagine that, the very guy that had beat them, the very guy that was punishing them? And he says, your life matters to God. They lead the warden to the Lord. Uh, they leave with the warden. They baptize him. They baptize the whole household. And then, and then city leaders find out about that whole deal, and now they're upset, and they chase Paul and Silas out of town. They, they had to flee for their lives. Several years later, Paul is now in prison somewhere else, and he's writing a letter back to the people in Philippi. Paul did not have great experiences in Philippi. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of betrayal. When he was in prison, you know what the area pastors were doing? They were were trashing Paul and saying, you deserve it. You've been preaching a false gospel. God is getting you back. And you know what they choose to remember on that experience? The positive the good. That's why he says, I thank God every time I remember you. Paul could have dwelt on the negative. He could have remembered the painful ma- the, the memories, but he chose to remember the good things, the things that he was grateful for. Listen, let me tell you something. Conditional gratitude is not gratitude. If everything has to be going great in your circle for you to be grateful and have joy, you'll never have to be grateful. You'll never have joy. And Paul understood that. I, I, I remember a time in my life, and as many of you know, I was raised in Texas. And, and uh, my dad, was he, he was an oil patch guy. He was a plant superintendent for Exxon. And so, so we traveled a lot. We moved from oil field to oil field. And, and so the longest place I ever lived was Tyler, Texas in my childhood. We moved there when I was in the fourth grade. I lived there from the fourth grade all the way through my junior year of high school. After I'd finished my junior year of high school, uh, in June, uh, my dad set the family down and said, hey, listen, we've been transferred. We're moving to Bay City, Texas. I was crushed. I had a girlfriend. I had relationships. I had friendships. I was dreaming of that senior year experience with my friends. And my dad says, we're moving. And not only that, to Bay City, Texas. That's like purgatory. Uh, It's like it's like 1,200 people. You know that town? Everybody knows everybody and everybody's business. Uh, I mean, it's one generation after another. Uh, they, they had been born and raised there. It's, it's a farming town. And so they st- all the kids started in kindergarten together all the way through. They had lifelong friendships. They, they didn't need any new friends. And so my dad did offer to allow me. He says, we'll leave you and Tyler if you'd like. I still don't know what that was about. And so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a good off-ramp for you, and so uh, I says, "No, I think I'll go with the family." <laughs> and so, uh, so I moved to Bay City, Texas, and now I'm the new kid in town, and, and I'm trying to break in, and and I hated, I hated it. You know what? I, I made a decision. I am not gonna like it here. I'm not gonna build any relationships. I, I'm not gonna have any friends. I hate it here. I want everybody to know I hate it here. And as soon as I graduate, I'm out of here. I'm going off to school. I'm going, I, six months, I, anybody can do anything for six months, I'm going to do six months here. And I look back on that and realize I missed a really great opportunity. There are a lot of those kids that really reached out to me. They invited me to parties. They, 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 uh, they, they wanted to have a relationship with me. And I, I was determined, you know what, I, I'm just not going to like it here. Conditional gratitude is not gratitude. If you don't learn how to focus on the good in the circumstance, the situation you're in, you're never really going to have joy. me, life, I'm just telling you. Now I've learned this this last year. Many of you know my story, but life is too short not to enjoy the people around you. Because life can change in a heartbeat. Everything can change. And maybe you're holding on a hurt from the past and because of that, you just, you're just you just negative. You just see the bad. You just see the bad in everybody. And as a result of that, you don't, you, don't have, you don't have joy. How about focusing on the good, being grateful for what you do have, being grateful? Listen, let me tell you something. Pleasant memories are a choice. It's your choice what you remember about that individual. It's your choice what you remember about that situation and when you remember the negative and you remember the bad it's it's going to it's joy is going to like it's going to suck out of the room in other words this remember the best and forget the rest and i'm not saying you excuse the hurts of the past and excuse the weaknesses of people excuses the sins of people that'd be psychologically unhealthy but what i am saying learn learn how to focus on the good and like move on move on if not you're going to destroy your circle see Paul appreciated the loyalty in people. I wonder if that's still even a virtue today. Paul said, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I wonder if that's even something that we even look at anymore. So you need to be careful. The people that you bring into your inner circle, are they loyal? A lot of times we look at the big stuff. We look at the -the over-the-top stuff. I mean... I wonder if loyalty is even a virtue today. And a lot of times the reason we have hurt with people, we bring some people into our inner circle, and they are not loyal at all, and they betray us, and we're like shocked. I mean, who's been loyal to you? A mom, a dad, husband, a wife, a friend? Do you even appreciate that? Or do you focus on what they don't do instead of what they do? What they do first thing is this you, you got to think you got to come to the place to thank God for them the second thing is this you got to come to the place to pray for them you got to come to the place where you just pray for them verse 4 it says always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy in other words Paul was like praying for people that had hurt him Paul was I mean I mean it'd be an amazing thing to think about Paul praying for you But the quickest way to change a relationship from bad to good is thinking God for them. You know, when you start thinking God for someone, it does two things. It changes you, and it can change them. It changes your attitude towards them because it is hard to hate the person you're praying for. It is hard to hate the person that you dislike when you begin praying for them. And so it it can change your attitude towards them and it it, it can actually change them because positive praying is better than positive thinking because people can resist your advice, they can resist your suggestions, they can resist the way that you try to change them, they can ignore your wisdom or whatever, but they are powerless against your prayers. And so when you tell someone I'm praying for you, what are you praying? Here's what Paul, verses 9 through 11, this is what Paul prayed and we're going to break this down because it's so fascinating. He said, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So four things that that Paul prays for people. Listen, let me just tell you just real quickly. Like This is is like bonus material. This is like for free. Uh, I was wondering about Paul and all of his prayers and like, is is this something that he consistently prayers for people? Does he pray different prayers for people? And so I like go through all the prayers that Paul prayed and here's what's crazy never once did Paul pray that God would change somebody's circumstances I'm like, ah that's what I pray the most, right? God, get me out of this circle get Fred out, and Fred's a fake name Just get Fred out of my circle. I'm tired of Fred. God changed my situation. You know, God never, God never prayed God changed their situation. You know what God prayed? God changed them in the midst of their situation. God teach them in the middle of their situation. Teach them how to love people. Teach them how to come to the place where they're able to see the good and not the bad in everybody. Because you know this. We live in a negative society. Most people, all they tweet, all they post is something like negative about somebody else. Some people have a whole platform letting everybody know how horrible somebody else is. You want to stand out in this society, you want to stand out, you just you, you just have joy, be happy, and love people. And so here's some things, here's four things that Paul would pray for people to say, pray that they grow in love. Just Lord, teach them how to love. I mean, he says that, there, that your love may abound more and more. In other words, it's like this uncontainable love. It's like this tidal way of love. It's like this, it's this, it's this overflowing of love. Jesus is the one that said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Oh, by the way, and love your neighbor by yourself. One of the evidences that we love God is we love people. You can never, and I can never say when you get in a situation, you get in an argument and you say something that you shouldn't say. It's demeaning to someone. You talk down to someone. You insult someone. You hurt someone with your words, and then all of a sudden you look at him and says, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't even know where that came from." Jesus would say, "If you don't know where it came from, I'll tell you where it came from. It came from your heart, because what comes out of your mouth is an overflow of your heart. Change your heart, it change your words." And so the first thing is you, te- you, you pray that, that God, God would, that they would grow in love. And so Anne Lamott, she says this, and I'm, I'm going to quote her. She says this, you can safely assume you, you've created God in your own image when it turns out that God hates all the same people you do. When God thinks, that, when God thinks everybody's a jerk that you think is a jerk when god thinks everybody is an idiot that you think is a jerk when god hates all the same people that you do then all of a sudden you know what you put your place in god yourself in the place of god you have created god in your own image it's dangerous and the next thing you pray is pray that they'll make wise choices i mean pray that they'll just simply make wise choices he says with knowledge and all discernment I mean, for years i prayed this for my for, for our children for our, both of our girls and now I pray it for our son-in-laws and Especially the son-in-law It's a Patriots fan. He's just making poor choices. It's like, Lord, help him. You guys know we're praying Patriots lose because I'm tired of listening to my son-in-law, and I'm tired of hearing about Brady's hand. And so <laughs> it's still just hard to me. I'm sorry. You brought up football, not me. And so... Like, like when people come in and they're wearing Patriots jersey, and I know we're a church for everyone, we accept everyone, but man, I'm like, Lord, you see them, I see them. Forgive them for they know not what they're doing. <laughs> I don't even know where we are. <laughs> oh, make wise choices. It's, it's knowledge, in, knowledge and discernment. It's the ability to make wise choices. You know there's a difference between a good decision and a godly decision. Huge difference between just a good decision and God, give them that ability. Another thing is pray they'll do the right thing. Not only understand the right choice, understand a good decision, a godly decision, understand to make that. But then the ability to to, to do the right thing, he says, and and so be pure and blameless. In other words, this is to have a a clear conscience. It is possible to live with with a clear conscience to where you're not carrying around. I should have never said that to that individual. I should have never done that to that individual. To where God doesn't have to keep bringing that person's name up to you over and over. Then the last one is is they will live for God's glory. They will live for God's glory. It says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. So to the glory and praise of God. In other words, so you understand, I'm telling you, every one of us has influence. If you don't think you have influence, then you're wrong. Every one of us influences people in our circle. And a lot of times we think only athletes or only, only politicians or only, only people with a lot of money, they have influence. Everybody has influence. I mean, it's an amazing thing. And you know what? We, we were watching football and we were watching the, the Vikings and the, uh, the Saints last weekend. And then when Case Keenum threw the, the touchdown pass, I mean, things are like going, it's insane. I mean, it's going nuts. Uh, and after years of total disappointment of the Vikings, you know, now they're cleansing themselves of their past. And so, um, and so a reporter, things are going nuts, a, a reporter in Case Keenum is a strong Christian. Uh, he runs out on the field, sticks a mic in Case Keenum's face and says, this has to be the best experience of your life. And Case says, very nonchalant, nope, third best experience of my life. First, meeting Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. Second, the day I married my wife. And third, the past that won the game. And then the reporter goes, oh, those are all good things. Now let's move on. <laughs> now, Case wasn't weird about it. He didn't get a weird church voice. He didn't talk in a whisper tone. He didn't get creepy like he's creeping everybody out. He just said, this, uh, it doesn't take much. When you understand the influence you have in your circle. Just remind you, no, this is where I put my hope. No, this is where I put my faith. No, this is what Jesus Christ has done for me in my life. It's all it is. That's, just pray that they'll live for God's glory. The third thing, if you're going to enjoy people in your life, you've got to be patient with them. And when Paul saw people, he looked at their potential. He looked at what they were becoming. So many times, I'm telling you, so many times, people look at people in their circle and they say, oh, they have so far to go." How about looking at they've come so far? Now they're not the same person they used to be. In five years from now, they're not going to be the same person they are today. Man, we're we're all growing. We're all maturing. We're all developing. Verse 6, he says, and I'm sure of this, that he, God, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. You know what God's saying? I'm so thankful. I don't give up on people. The work that I started in your life, I will complete. Husbands may quit on wives. Wives may quit on husbands. Parents may quit on children. Children may quit on, on, on parents. Friends may quit on friends, but God does not quit on anybody. See, human love sometimes dries up. It wears out. And so when the, tough, when the going gets tough, you know, what we, do? We, just, we, just, we just quit. But God never quits. There's implications into the church. I mean, Paul planted this church. He was a pastor. He had some hurts. And Paul says, you know what? What God started in this church, he's going to finish. And the same with Fellowship of the Rockies. What God started in this church, he will finish. I have watched God sustain this church when people quit on this church. Because what God starts, He'll finish. There's personal implications. 5.5 billion people in the world, and God wants to change me and He wants to change you. You know why? Because God doesn't quit on people. The work that He began in my life, the work that He began in your life, He's gonna gonna complete it. He's not gonna give up in spite of our sin, in spite of our hangups, in spite of our imperfections, our faults, our bad decisions. The the, the circumstances that we walk through, the things that we face in life, you know what God says? God says, I will not quit on you. And the question is, are you going to cooperate with him? Because what he says is that that work that he's doing in your life, it's a good thing. That work that he's doing in the life of some people in your circle, it's a good thing. Paul says, I'm confident of this. So you know what this frees me up? Then I found this a number of years back. You know this frees me up to do? It frees me up because I now realize it is not my job to change anyone. God does that. That's why I preach the way I do. I'm not trying to change you. That's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Anytime you try to change people in your circle, it's going to frustrate you, it's going to frustrate them. A lot of times why we carry so much stress in relationship is because we're carrying a responsibility that is not really ours to carry. We think it's our job to change them. When someone responds to me in a hurtful way, it is not a reflection of me, it is a reflection of them. And when I get that, when I understand that, I carry it different. And you know what? When people do that in public and they hurt you, people are smart enough to see things for what they really are. But if we respond back to try to change them or to attack them, we look just as bad as they do. You want to mess with your enemies? Forgive them. You want to mess with your enemies? Let it go. The Bible says that, that God is not finished with people, and we need to be patient with people's progress. I've seen God do some amazing things with some people in our church over the last 20-something years. I've watched the dishonest now are truthful. I've watched people that were painful and hurting others become, begin to help others. I've watched people that were once selfish, now a servant. I've watched people that, that carried fear, now people of faith. I've watched people come in who are greedy, and now they're living a life of generosity and of giving. I've watched people come into this body that, were, that, that had trouble controlling anger, that anger that was overflowing, uncontrollable anger, and, and I've watched them come to the place where they can love people, they can accept people. We had a man, just real quick story, is like 10 years ago, He came to our church after 15 years in prison. Uh, It was anger out of control and consequences to his actions that sent him to prison. 15 years in prison. He comes out, comes in, in, he decided he needed to get God in his life. He comes into our church. He meets Christ here. We baptize him. He goes into a life group. He goes into men's ministry. After five years of being here... Uh, He stopped me in the hall and said, hey, Charlie, I I need to tell you what happened this last week. week." He said, a man, a friend of mine, betrayed me. He hurt me. I loaded up in my truck. I'm headed over to his house. I'm going to settle the score man to man, knowing I'd probably go back to prison. And I'm driving in my truck, and I'm angry. It's like God came into the cab of my truck, and God says, you need to forgive him. You need to learn to forgive him. You need to let it go. He said, I pulled over, and I figured out how to forgive him. I said, you know what? That's an unbelievable story because five years ago, if that man had done that, he probably would have been dead, and you'd be in prison again. And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. I'm telling you, God is going to push you to a higher level. Some of you may be coloring outside the lines right now. You may be playing loose in the area of ethics. You may not be truthful in some areas. You're abusing your body. or You know what? You're abusing somebody else. You're sleeping in the wrong bed. You're gossiping and slandering about brothers and sisters in Christ. And do you think God is just going to wink at that and say, so I'll go work on somebody else? The work that he started in life, he's going to complete it. Some may say, you know what? I've blown it just way too bad for God to ever use me. God says, I, I'm not going to give up on you. And what I start in your life, I'll complete. The fourth and the last thing, if you're going to enjoy people in your life, is learn to love them. Just come to the place where you learn to love them. The way that you, you helps you to love people is you, you try to understand them. I mean, Paul used the term, on oh, my heart, you are on my heart. I've learned this. If people aren't on my heart, they are on my nerves. <laughs> If your kids aren't on your heart, they're on your nerves. If your husband is not on your heart, he's on your nerves. If your wife is not on your heart, she's on your nerves, right? If your boss or your friend is not on your heart, they're on your nerves. And the way that you learn to love people, one of the ways is you try to understand them. Do you know the pain they're carrying? Do you know the issues they're carrying? Do you know what they bring into the room? Do they know what they're walking through? Because I'm telling you, everyone in this room is carrying something. Life is hurtful. And Paul says, verse 8, he says, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. So affection means, it's a deep word, it means intestines. It means bowels. See, in, in Greek society, the Greeks believed... That love, the deepest form of love, comes like from the depths of your toes. It comes from your bowels. It comes from your intestines. It comes from your liver. Now you know where you get that term. You know, I've got a quiver in my liver. Um, it's that. It's that. It's that deep form of love that, like, it just comes from the depths of your. It just comes from the depths of your soul. In other words, Paul saying, "I love you with the affection of Jesus Christ," which simply means this. This is not human love. This is love that comes from Him. Because human love wears out, human love dries out, human love quits, human love gives up. But God's love for us, it doesn't. That's why we start this series off with what's in your circle? The Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to have the affection of Christ, it gives us the ability to love people, it gives us the ability to understand that, well, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is patience it gives us the ability to have patience with people a lot of people think and well I'll, I'll love God and then one day I'll figure out how to love people no that's theologically impossible it's like a ladder god on one side and people on the other And the The more you love God is the more naturally you love the people around you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?